Welcome to Credentialing Insights, a podcast from the Institute for Credentialing Excellence. Join us as we dive into thought-provoking discussions with subject matter experts on the topics that matter most to the credentialing community. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to our podcast about quality assurance. Our goal is to share some insights to help you better understand this important topic as you pursue accreditation. My name is Mary Boudet. I'm the Director of Certification for the National Board for Certification with Hearing Instrument Sciences. I'm pleased to welcome my guests who will introduce themselves and share how they define quality assurance. Hi, I'm Jana Yaryeva. I'm the Director of Assessments and Senior Psychometrician for the Dental Assisting National Board. Danby defines quality assurance as having policies and procedures in place that are routinely monitored to identify issues before our candidates become aware of them. And this is referred to as proactive surveillance. Todd. Thank you, Jonna. My name is Todd Galati. I am the Senior Director of Credentialing and Practice Advancement with the American Council on Exercise, where we certify exercise professionals and health coaches. We have four Certification programs, uh, both accredited by the NCCA and to the ISO IEC 17024 standards through ICE's partnership with uh, IAS. And we define quality uh, assurance very similarly to what John had just described with Danby. And I think just thinking of quality assurance as the American Society for Quality defines it as part of a quality management focused program that provides confidence that your quality requirements will be fulfilled. Thank you. As you're thinking about the programs that you have, what are some of the key things or elements that you think are essential to every quality assurance policy? Todd, let's start with you. Wow, that's a really big question. I think some of the things that are really, really important, well, one is having um, policies and procedures. We, we all typically have some policies and procedures for many of the things we do with our certification programs. And it's including in those policies and procedures, some policies for ensuring quality. And that can be, what are the steps that you take to make sure that your test items are written the same uh, at every meeting? What are the steps that you take to ensure that your uh, candidates receive a similar testing experience wherever they sit for your exam, uh, nationally or internationally, depending on your program. And then what also within those policies and procedures, how do you track that these things are occurring? And I think those are some of the uh, documents that, that you would have, and then taking those policies and procedures and cascading them to other documents. Your candidates don't need to know 100% of all the policies and procedures that you use within your organization, but they do need to understand the ones that pertain specifically to them. So cascading the candidate-specific policies into your candidate handbook, if you have one, or onto your website or into their instructions for uh, their test day. So those would be a few of them, and I'm sure uh, John probably has some to add. That's really great, Todd. Yeah, the one thing that we talk about a lot is it, it doesn't matter what size your program is, you can always make it work. And the the way that you do that um, is by ensuring that it doesn't occupy all of your resources. You can make it a part of your daily or weekly routines and make it easy to manage. So exactly what Todd was talking about. And you 
can start by scanning what what do you have right now? What policies and procedures are in place? Because those are the foundation. That's that's what we've been talking about. And plan it out. Build in your checks and audits if you don't have them already. And implement those procedures. And make sure you document everything. Evaluate how those procedures are working. And make sure that you're immediately acting on any issues that arise. That can sound like a lot for a small program. But like I said, if you build it into your routines, it really does become easy to manage and it's essential to your program. Uh, thank you. Could either or both of you please provide um, an example of something specific your organization has perhaps improved following implementation of some of your quality assurance policies and procedures or reviews? What's maybe changed for you and what do you see as the bigger benefit to having these quality assurance programs in place? I'll go first, Todd. Um, so what Danby did about a year ago is we really started talking about what are the organization's strategic initiatives. And we decided that the user experience was one of the very top, which is kind of unique for an organization to do. Um, it's not about a product or you know where, what the future of the industry is, but it was how are we managing and treating our candidates and our internal staff. So our uh, strategic initiative was called the um, user experience. And we broke it down into three pieces. We broke it down into reviewing the policies and procedures. The second one was technology. We were, we were gonna start with just our CRM, but we realized that all of the technology that we use, even in our communication to each other internally, was essential to review to make sure that we were using it effectively and also using um, the technology, the best technology that was available at the time. And our customer service was our third area. And all of those work together and there's so much crossover. And so they're all moving forward at the same time. And we have to ensure that we're communicating across those areas. And it has been transformative to our organization. And we even hired um, an individual who is helping us. So she's a full-time employee who is really overseeing to ensure that there is that communication between these areas and that we are using best practices as we're doing all of our reviews and assessing technology and training our staff. Um, and so we have invested a, a significant amount of our resources with our time and our money to ensure that we really do have a solid quality assurance plan um, and that we're implementing it daily and that we're reviewing the, the results of those QA procedures. And uh, here at the American Council on Exercise, some of the things um, we've, we've seen some similar positive benefits to uh, what John had just described. Um, while we don't have a, an individual consultant in place, we have added quality management responsibilities to multiple people's job roles so that we're all tracking and, and doing our part to ensure that uh, we follow what we've said we're doing with our quality management system. I think the other um, piece is that it really helped us to realize, as, as especially um, with the introduction in the previous version of the NCCA standards and also in, in uh, aiming for and achieving ISO accreditation, that we took 
a lot of really good standard operating procedures and quality related processes that we had in place that were all in their own individual SOP and in a huge document of all these great SOPs that we had. And we pulled them all together into one comprehensive system and connected all of the dots and also removed a, uh, removed a fair amount of redundancy because there were some quality related uh, work that was being done that by two different people from two different lenses that could be made into one consistent system. What do you think are some key things to have in place as they apply to the NCCA standards and best practices? I can start with uh, overarching things to have in place as well as uh, how they relate to some of the administrative standards. Looking at the NCCA standards first, where I think um, the, the prior version of the NCCA standards really implemented specific standards that called out a, a need for a quality management system and quality assurance. However, across the entire standards, there's quality related requirements throughout every standard. They're just specific to a piece of your certification program. But if we look at the quality assurance standard itself, um, which is standard 22 right now, it's, it's really a nice overview of, of how to put together a system. You want to have um, quality assurance policies and procedures in place that promote the delivery of the activities of your program as they're intended to be done and to identify opportunities for improvement. And so you want to look at do your organization's policies and procedures include any quality assurance or even uh, SOPs that promote certification activities being in uh, conducted as intended. Essential element B says that your program should have monitoring processes to identify errors and irregularities, and that you also should document errors and appropriate corrective actions. So this is more than just relying on your testing service partner to identify errors and, and irregularities for you. That is part of what they're doing for you at the test site, but you also should have steps in place to ensure that you identify irregularities, that you document them with notes about what was the irregularity? Was a corrective action needed? And if so, what was that corrective action? And how? Uh, and did it result in any policy changes? Because sometimes the corrective action might be following your current policies, and other times it might be something new that you've never seen before that requires a policy update. And then the third one, essential element C, talks about documenting uh, the regular review of all certification program policies and procedures. So this is really looking at your policies and procedures document, your quality manual, your candidate handbooks, your information on your website. You should have timelines in place for how often you doc you review those. Maybe it's once within, you know, at minimum once a year. And then documenting at what dates were each of those documents most recently reviewed and updated. Sometimes no updates might be needed, but you're still documenting that you did review it and that the document did not need any updates at that time. As we uh, then look at how does this apply with ISO standards, it's really similar documentation that's required. However, the ISO 17024 standards, they break them into more specific. There are multiple more specific items that you have to answer. So it's the same big policies and procedures, but they're broken down into a little bit more granular level when you're answering the standards. And a few additional items that are required by the ISO standards, but that also help you meet 
greatly meet the NCCA standards, and more importantly, have a really fantastic quality assurance system set up for your certification programs is that um, it's having someone conduct an annual, at least an annual audit of your certification uh, procedures to ensure that you're following your own policies. And that can be an internal reviewer who is not part of your certification programs, but has experience with auditing related to ISO standards, or it can be an external auditor or both. You may choose to have both. Think of the way that your accounting department works with their audits and how they track their own quality. Second one is at minimum, you should have um, an annual quality management review meeting where you get your certification leaders and department together to review what were what are our policies and procedures? Are we following our, our review processes for how soon often they should be updated? And of the errors that we found, do we feel that they were all addressed adequately? And how many errors were there? And is there any part of our program that we're seeing enough issues that we really need to maybe rethink the way we're doing something? And of course, all of this must be documented in both, both in your policies and procedures stating how things should be done and then in the records showing that you actually did things the way that you said that they should be done and as mentioned somewhere in that and what i was saying is that all of this will help you with continual program improvement and it will also help you on your way to meeting both ncca and iso 17024 standards todd what a great summary and so much of what Todd mentioned really does apply to the psychometric standards as well. It's that documentation. You have to um, ensure that you're documenting with enough detail that it is useful when somebody goes back to take a look at what happened during that meeting. You need to document who was there, um, what decisions were made, even the date that you met, sometimes that we forget to even put the date of the meeting on there. Here's an example. So if you're holding an item writing and reviewing meeting, um, first indicate what's your schedule for review? Are you doing this you know, every six months? Are you doing it annually, every two years? Make sure that you have a schedule in place. And then document in, the, in detail how many items were removed when you did your review and why were they removed? Was it a, a item that wasn't performing well, or is that content old now for your practice? Um, did you change the exam outline categories for any of your items and why? How many new items did you write? Does your exam meet your out exam outline percentages? Document all the details that you can. And a lot of these should be in your test specifications document. And so if you follow your test specs document and you indicate all of the requirements in there, that's gonna go a long way in meeting the NCCA standards. If you have a test security protocol, which you should have in place, it may not be called that and it may not be super detailed, um, but it can include um, things like if somebody contacts you with um, an issue about an item, what do you do? You know, um, what if somebody contacts you and says, my colleague, was cheating on the exam. What do you do? What if you find out that there's item harvesting and you're, you went online and there's this group and you're finding your exam content? What do you do? You have to have a documented procedure that you follow the same way every time. And that is really essential in case there's any legal 
uh, implications. So if you are wanting to um, uh, not go after somebody, but you want to use your policies um, uh, to really assess what that candidate did or what those candidates did and make sure that you're following the same procedures, the same sanctions. Are they? Are you going to continue to allow them to test? You have to do it the same way every time or somebody can come back to you and say, hey, my friend can test next year, but you're not allowing me to test ever again. And why is that? And you have to be able to show that you have documented procedures in place and that you're following them. And risk assessment, especially in this day and age of live remote proctoring is really, really important because the risks are, it's a moving target. And you have to constantly be assessing what technology is being used, not just by your test vendor to ensure as best that they can that there isn't the possibility of cheating or that they um, reduce the possibility as much as possible, but also what is the technology that is being used by candidates? They can go low tech on you and they can go very high tech. And if you're not aware of what's available, you can end up losing an entire pool of items and having to um, go and pull your exam down, not let anybody test until you're able to rebuild that, which is a huge risk for your organization. So document, follow your procedures, um, and make sure that you're following the procedures the same way every time so that all staff know what are our procedures and how do we implement them? Because everybody in your organization is responsible. And that, that really does help you to meet the NCCA standards and they are really best practices. So whether or not your program is accredited to NCCA or the ISO standards, these are things that you should always be doing and throughout all areas within your organization. Shauna, you mentioned new technologies, and I'm wondering if you've had to modify some of your policies recently with the advent of artificial intelligence and chat GPT, if you've seen an impact from that in terms of having to um, change some of your policies and procedures. That's a great question, Mary. And, uh, you know, getting into the technologies that candidates are using to cheat, um, that's a whole other uh, um, webinar session. And so I'll talk a little bit about the issues that we have around the technology with the candidate trying to take the exam. And what do we think that they're doing? Um, because you're not there, you can't see them. And so you have candidates who are having technology issues. They are having um, uh, not just issues with their laptop, but issues with the internet. And then there are just issues with meeting the standards that are required for your space where you're testing. And uh, sometimes it's not the candidate's fault and that's where you have to really investigate what happened. And you've got the candidate's word and you've got the vendor's word on what has happened, why the candidate was not able to test. And you have to be able to determine um, to the best of your ability, what the issue was, and then apply your policies and procedures the same way every time with every candidate. And that's hard when you've got this moving target of technology issues that candidates may be facing. 
Um, it's also very challenging to have your room set up the right way or to ensure that somebody doesn't come into your room. And maybe that's a red flag that you have noted for the vendor that, you know, nobody can come in because that's your security of your exam. And that's part of your quality assurance to make sure that everybody has the same um, opportunity to take and pass the exam. Um, but what if it's a child and they just walk in and they just say, hey, mom, where's my soccer ball? Um, is that different from an adult coming in and being quiet and maybe walking around the room? You know, so what do you do in that case? And again, as I said before, you have to have those policies and procedures in place and try to think about all the possible scenarios that could happen. And if you come across a scenario that didn't happen, you really have to sit down and think, how does this fit in with our current policies and procedures? And then document that so that if it comes up again, you know how to handle it. Because this is an area that we're really concerned with because the, the candidates deserve to have the best testing experience. And because we can't control the technology, we can't control their space, we, our responsibility is to make sure that we do have those policies and procedures. Todd and I just keep talking about those policies and procedures, making sure they're in place and that you're following them. That is the best way to protect your program. And that's really what the NCCA standards are for, is to ensure that you're doing everything that you can to protect your program and to be fair to the candidates. Um, absolutely. Thank you, um, Todd and Jonna, for sharing all of this helpful information. I look forward to continuing our conversation on practical considerations when establishing a quality assurance program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Credentialing Insights, a podcast from the Institute for Credentialing Excellence. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be the first to hear these episodes each month. If you have a suggestion for a future discussion or want to sponsor an episode, reach out to info at credentialingexcellence.org. For more great thought leadership content, visit Credentialing Insights at credentialinginsights.org. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you.